afternoon's speaker is Dr. Vivi Mettler. He's the Dean of the Faculty of Wildlife Scientists at the Wildlife Institute of India. As a professional forester, he joined the Wildlife Institute of India in 1986 and was assigned the responsibility of setting up the computerized National Wildlife Database. In 1991, he came to PhD in Wildlife Ecology from the University of Oxford. His fields of interest include protected areas, managing them, creating plans, developing management effectiveness, and computer GIS applications in natural resource conservation. He has worked on, file, on a FAO assignment on preparation of management plans of protected areas of Sri Lanka. And his talk today will be about how secure and successful are protected areas, lessons learned from India. He's gonna be talking about the public finance of protected areas. As you may have heard this morning, a lot of one of the obstacles to successful uh, parks are their financing. So he'll talk today about public financing of parks. And I want to hand it over to Dr. Mandel. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you very much for the introduction. I hope uh, you can hear me. Yes. 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 <laughs> Uh, I must say, I'm very pleased to be with a group of young conservationists this afternoon. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's a great occasion. Sorry. Yes. Uh, for, for more than one reason. Uh, firstly, uh, through this technological fix, we have, I have been able to avoid environmental pollution by making the costly air burning. <laughs> so we are truly talking about conservation today. And we can be happy that we, at least I am not contributing to the depletion of ozone layer. <laughs> what I have done is, is organized my presentation in three parts. Uh, firstly, I need to talk about the notion of uh, secure and successful peace. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Can you hear me? We can. Yes. 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 Oh no! Now we can. No. We can. You just turned yourself off. <laughs> So my presentation is in three parts. Uh, firstly, I talk about the notion of a secure and a successful PA. What do we mean by security? To mean security of a PA is essentially the ecological security. And also, in the South Asian context, the people who live in and around the PAs, do the PAs bring security to their livelihoods? And then I go on to talk about 
the funding for the PAs, uh, which is a big issue, and then look at options for sustainable funding. And finally, I will talk about uh, do we, uh, are we really happy with the PA-centric approach? Now, if you look at the global experience, it is saying that populations of all major species are declining. Uh, last year, a millennium ecosystem assessment was done. About 5,000 scientists participated. The results are very clear. Populations of all major species are on a decline. So in this situation, what can PAs do? The threats to the protected areas are increasing. And very importantly, now I come to the experience in India. We have set up uh, some 28 tiger reserves in the country. These are specially designated PAs for conservation of tiger. And what happened in 2006, that one of these tiger reserves lost all its tigers. So you can imagine what furor it would have created. Everybody from conservationists to activists got alarmed. <coughs> What is this PA doing? Are the tigers safe? And what is happening in other 27 tiger reserves? You can understand that a lot of taxpayers money is going into the PAs and therefore the society wants to know what is the outcome of this money? And that is why you see the question is, why, why are we talking about security and success of PAs now? The key question is, are the PAs successful in conserving the range of biodiversity? And secondly, how effective are these PAs in dealing with new threats. You can see that the poaching of animals in protected areas has been going on for many years. So what is new now? What is new is the magnitude of this poaching and its international ramifications. India has open borders with Nepal, it has with Bhutan, and it has with uh, Tibet and China. And what is now being learned, that the tiger trade has tremendous international dimension. So things happening beyond India, in neighboring countries, the trade in tiger parts in Southeast Asia is what is causing new threats.
and how the global community has responded is to develop a method to measure how effective the PAs are. And some very interesting findings have now come about the strengths, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the threats to the PA network. And that is essentially is a matter of concern. What we call as a SWOT analysis. What is the SWOT analysis telling us? And this is what it tells us that a majority of the protected areas in the world are under crisis. Crisis, you will agree, is not a good word. But this crisis can also be converted into an opportunity. And that is what brings you and me together. How can we convert this crisis into a meaningful action? But if you look at the global picture, less than 25% of the protected areas in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America, and the Russian Federation are well managed. And most of the PAs are suffering with some kind of a threat. And interestingly, only one out of 39 parks in Canada is free from ecological stress. What I'm stating is that, that the condition of protected areas from Latin America to Asia to Africa is just about the same. And therefore, the global community is concerned that how do we measure the effectiveness. And this is what you see on the screen is a framework for evaluating the, the management effectiveness. This has been given by the IUCN, the World Commission on Protected Areas. And it comprises of six elements. And each one needs to be evaluated. All PAs must have a vision. All PAs must have planned to achieve this vision. Then they need resources. Then we need processes. And then we need to distinguish between outputs and outcomes. <coughs> Most of the time, we are concerned with outputs. But what is needed is that what are the outcomes? For example, in every PA, we construct roads. And when we submit our plans, we say that this road will help us to catch the poachers. And we construct the road and we say at the end of the year that yes, we have done our job. But we do not sit back and evaluate 
how many poachers we have been able to apprehend. So what I'm trying to say is that measuring of outcomes is a very important activity for the park managers. And this framework has now been tried in a large number of countries as small as Bhutan to as large as China and Brazil. And we also applied it in India. And this graphic before you shows what is the status of a sample of protected areas in the country. As you can see, those which are in the green are able to fulfill their objectives and are producing outcomes in terms of species numbers and conservation of the habitat. But the one on extreme right, shown in red color, is a case to point. What I'm trying to stress is that different PAs are facing threats and the park management is trying to address those threats. But many of these threats are arising due to actions which take place outside the protected area. Therefore, just, think, just thinking about protected areas is not enough. And so these are the major lessons learned. That many of the PAs in the world are subjected to threats and actions which emanate from outside. And therefore, what is being practiced as a PA-centric approach is not very effective. And therefore, we need to look beyond PAs at a landscape level, at a bioregional planning level, and we need to engage the stakeholders. Because right now the PA management is the business of the PA managers. But many of the actions and threats emanate from activities on which the PA manager has no control or little control. And therefore, the strategy now is to engage the stakeholders. It could be a local community, it could be industry, it could be ecotourism people, and it could be other agencies which are pushing development around our protected areas. And as I said earlier, poaching and trade in wildlife parks and products is a very serious threat. If you look at the global statistics, the drug trade is number one in the world, but very closely followed by trade 
in wildlife parts and products. And it is this issue which we need to tackle. If we think our peace have to be secured and have to be successful. The other thing which has come up is that we need to change our approach to PA management. In most of South Asia, what we have done is set up a network of PAs and then have practiced passive management, which means that you set up the area and you think that things will be okay, but that is not the case. We now need active and adaptive management. So I mentioned to you a little while ago about the tigers having been lost in Sediska. Now the PA management is thinking, how can we get back the tigers? And that can be brought back, not by passive approach, but by an active and adaptive approach. We are now talking of science-based restoration plans, where we should be able to move a population of two to four tigers from an area where these are present in reasonable numbers and try to repopulate the area where they got extinct. But before we do that, we have to go into the causes which led to their extinction in the first place which means that we have to control poaching, we have to reduce the biotic pressure, and we have to build the prey base. And all this calls for a very active management approach, which I would say has been lacking so far. And for this we also need trained manpower. We need our managers to be trained and we also need young researchers to work in protected areas which I am afraid are not, are not many good examples. So we have to work on two fronts. The managers have to be provided better training and the researchers have to be Again, trained and motivated to work in areas which are wild and difficult. There are many students who would love to work in land, but then who then takes care of our protected areas? So, this issue of training and capacity building through research, through management interventions is badly needed. At least for South Asia and India in particular, the Wildlife Institute of India where I work has a major mandate to train managers and to train young students and researchers 
in the art and science of wildlife management. So this was basically the first part. I want you to talk about the, st the status of PAs in the country. And now I move to the other topic of financing. Here again, if you look at the global picture, investment in biodiversity conservation in general and protected areas in particular is very insufficient. And we now need to have innovative approaches to generate additional funding and also to make policy and governance reforms. If you look at the source of funding, most of the places it is the government which funds. The single largest source of PA financing is the government. In developing countries as a whole, the national park budgets amount to between US dollar 1.3 to 2.6 billion per year. If you look at Latin America and Caribbean countries, the investment in environment is less than 1%. And even in the United States of America, allocation to National Park Service is just 0.1% of the federal budget. So you can see when I say the funding is insufficient, the PAs are dependent on governments and the governments are not providing enough money. But then we do have international assistance and many of the PAs in the developing world are relying on this funding. The only example is of course, again, India, where the PAs are not dependent on international assistance. The government is providing adequate finances to manage the protected areas. Another source of funding is the multilateral funds. The development assistance is coming from a large number of agencies the European Union, the World Bank, the Asian Development Bank, and the Global Environment Facility is giving about 1.1 billion in grants to biodiversity projects. The other source of funding are bilateral donors. And just to give you a figure, 19 donor countries together gave US dollar 995 billion per annum between 1998 to 2000. And lastly, but importantly, are the private and community funds. Large number of businesses and philanthropic organizations are providing funding. And one of the best sources of fund is the United Nations Foundations. 
which is uh, the 10 tenor organization which has contributed 10 billion US dollar for the World Heritage Sites. These are sites which are which are globally recognized for conservation and the UN Foundation is providing substantial funds for management of the World Heritage Sites. And finally, if you look at the current status of PA funding, we require between 1.1 billion to 2.5 billion US dollars. But what we have is a deficit. It ranges between 1 billion to 1.7 billion. You can see these graphics, these are estimations made by different scientists and agencies. They say that there is a tremendous deficit in the amount of funds which are available to the protected areas. So finally, what we need to do is that the conventional sources of funds will never be sufficient to maintain and expand the protected area network. We need to develop and expand innovative financing mechanisms. And I can tell you the best example is coming from Costa Rica. And this program today, I think you are going to have uh, the, co the coastal, Costa Rican minister who will be telling about how Costa Rica is trying to develop sustainable financing mechanisms. And I, I do feel that the mechanism which Costa Rica is trying to develop, most countries in the world need to follow that. The whole issue of payment for ecosystem services is a very important issue for policy and management decisions. In South Asia and in India, we are trying to establish that the protected areas are doing a great service to the society as a whole. And therefore, the society must be willing to pay for the price which is required for running and effectively managing the protected area. Surely these decisions are not easy. The conflict between upstream and downstream communities is a very important one. But we need to build up a larger constituency. I think that is what uh, I wanted to say and share with you. And I would now like to respond to any of the questions or comments that you might have. Thank you very much. So are there any questions?
to open up the floor. He can hear you if you talk. <laughs> how, how does India, who is taxed in India to pay for the parks? Uh, so repeat again. Who is taxed in India to fund the parks? It's, it's the society. The government is funding it. The federal government and the state government. Is it an income tax, a corporate tax, a property tax? It's, it's the income tax from the society which the government collects and then invests in the protected areas. Thank you. Is the, is the financial support um, supported by people in India for parks or is there a general resentment against the parks or do people not even know they're there? Like, what is the public sentiment towards their tax dollars going to parks? Sorry, louder, please, I can't hear you. Um, what is the public sentiment of tax dollars going towards their parks? Uh, in, in, of Indians? Are they supportive of the pro process? Do they dislike it? Do they not know about it? Okay. Can you repeat it again? Um, one minute. I don't think this works. Can you see him behind that window? <laughs> one moment. Okay. Yes. Okay. You can hear. Yeah. Why don't you? What is it? Oh, because you come up here and say I can't do it. Um, what is the public sentiment um, towards protected areas in India? Are people supportive of their tax dollars going to parks? Do they dislike it? Um, do they not know that that's happening in the first place? Look, the public sentiment is mixed. If you look at the Indian history of conservation, people by and large have protected wild animals and plants. So the religion, the mythology, the conservation ethics is all towards protected areas. But what the people are now saying that what tangible benefits they can get in return by saving or protecting a protected area. If tourists are coming, and the park is making money, can this money be shared with the local community? And this is a big question. And we are looking at our financial procedures that how we can share this money for the welfare of local communities. And in some parks we have been able to do that and people are terribly happy. So we need to expand this experience to other protected areas. 
Are there any other questions at this time? I'm going to ask you to come to the front and ask the questions because I'm not good at repeating questions very well. Sorry about that. All right. My uh, arithmetic may not be good because there were a lot of slides involved, but uh, I seem to, if, if you add up the multilateral and bilateral uh, uh, assistance around the world uh, and uh, add to that the, the private NGO efforts, it seems to me that that's substantially greater than the, uh, uh, the, the deficit in the amount needed showed it, shown on one of the latter slides with the three different estimates of what that deficit was. Uh, is, is there a discrepancy there? Well, I can tell you without referring to the slide, this is the information by the CBD Secretariat that globally the deficit is ranging between 1 billion to 1.7 billion per year between what is needed and what the PAs are getting. The three estimates I showed you well, essentially because there is a difference of opinion that how much funds do PA need. <coughs> so there are two levels of funding. One is the basic funds to run the PA. But more important is the funding required to run an effective PA. And that is the reason why these differences are there. And I can say without hesitation that barring a few countries, most countries are facing a deficit in, in the amount what is needed and what is provided through a range of donors. In terms of where finance is coming, do you think the model of uh, the Bhutan Trust Fund or other sorts of um, investments for conservation, where the money, instead of going directly to conservation, would rather be invested in the returns work, would that work for as large a scale as India? I would say so. I would say so that we would have to look at innovative ways. No single model can work in all countries and in all peers in a country. Because situation is different. In some areas where community pressure is high and where tourism values are high, investments can be shared. But if you do not raise money through tourism, then it will be very difficult to share the incentives with the people. But fortunately, most PAs are getting visitors. What we need to look at, at our financial procedures, to share this money, that is what I said that we need uh, reform the policy and governance level. 
which many countries and many bureaucracy are not very willing to do. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is all we have time for right now in this session. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mather. I'd also like to thank our technical assistant, uh, Rob Patria, who is hiding behind the magic window there. <laughs> can't see him. Can make himself possible. <laughs> and also, Sahil, who's sitting here on the stairs. <laughs> thank you.